But what you see on the, the right hand of the slide, for example, slide 84, um, basically that's a, a rough outline of what's contained in the chapters. So uh, today we're going to be looking, or at least talking about, introducing chapters 12 through 19. And then next week, we're, I, I think the, uh, the section is going to be chapters 20 to 24. That's for next time. But we will have opportunity, uh, if, if not uh, addressing every single item in these chapters, we'll be able to look at uh, various, you know, various uh, patterns, if we call them that, in the text itself. So to begin with, uh, the first two slides, uh, the first two notes, 84 and 85 there on your handout, is kind of a summary of these particular chapters. And this will kind of lead us then into um, what's to follow. Action prophecies forecast the forthcoming deportation after Jerusalem's fall and its attendant horrors followed by refutations of two complaints the people are using to discount God's warnings. Okay, so again, as a reminder, Ezekiel is preaching at a time just before the, the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. If you recall, I think it was in 597, roughly B.C., that uh, a number of the Israelites, or Judahites, uh, those dwelling in Judah were taken into exile under the reign of the Babylonians. All right, so that's kind of the timeline. It's so that's roughly 597. Ezekiel was taken, uh, very likely. Um, Jeremiah, who came just before, um, you know, kind of declared, uh, or actually after, um, because he was still in Judah. But he also proclaimed the upcoming destruction of the temple, as well as the the uh, exile in uh, that would take place under the Babylonians in Jerusalem, and that took place in about 587. Okay, and Daniel, we know that name too. Remember Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and uh, also the, the the great statue, and so on and so forth. Um, we also hear of that in Daniel, but Daniel was also one of the exiles as well, along with his friends. And they kind of, quote, learned the ways of the Babylonians in terms of wisdom and the like, but they retained their religious values. They retained their religion in Yahweh, in the one true God. And, uh, and so we hear about Daniel, Ezekiel. Uh, there may be a, a few other prophets uh, around at that time as well, but Ezekiel's main message was calling the people to repentance, right? So what we're seeing is basically these different ways that Ezekiel preached repentance as inspired by God to do so. And uh, that's what we find uh, also in these chapters as well. God does not answer the prayers of those who do not pray in his name, not even when false prophets claim to speak for him. And we'll hear about false prophets too in these chapters. Ezekiel emphasizes that righteousness, that is faith and life, is not transferable from one person to the next. So I'm hoping we can spend some time in what is probably more well known to us from Ezekiel, 
in this particular section, and that's Ezekiel chapter 18. You know, where, where uh, God, through Ezekiel, says things like, um, I do not desire the death of the wicked, but that the wicked repent and live, turn from their ways and live. And uh, also in that context, Ezekiel says, moved by God to do so, that uh, each one will bear his own sins. So the son will not bear the uh, punishment of his father's sins, but rather his own sins. All right, and that uh, that would uh, give us room for discussion as well. Jerusalem is a vine that is good for nothing, but burning, a vivid illustration of the city's fall in 587. They did not change, and they continued not to change, even though Ezekiel preached and preached and preached, not only by words, but also by actions. So that's what's meant by action prophecies. And we'll learn of that uh, in, 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 in chapter 12. You know, especially uh, we'll, we'll see that, that he actually was told by God to, to live out kind of this exile by day and then also by night. All right, so that's uh, slide 84. And if I'm going and if you have any questions or comments and I don't stop, please raise your hand and, and stop me. Or say, hey, Pastor. So continuing with uh, the, the overview of chapters 12 to 19, in a long allegorical satire, Ezekiel equates idolatry with adultery. And that is kind of a common theme. So we see that with Hosea. We see that in a, in a few other places in the Old Testament where idolatry is equated with adultery. Adultery is equated with idolatry. So, you know, kind of the picture in terms of, you know, husband-wife relationship kind of thing, who's the husband? That would be God. And the wife would be Judah or Israel. You know, sometimes we'll have the, uh, the analogy of sisters, too, between Israel and Judah. Judah. Judah's older sister is Israel, and the way she went, Judah was following so it was in about, uh, so again, just for, uh, for time reference, it was 722 B.C. roughly that Israel was in exile under the Assyrians. Okay, so we have this shift in power from the Assyrians to the Babylonians. And then after the Babylonians, we have the Persians. So a little bit later, Darius comes on the scene. You may have heard of him. You know, and Cyrus you know, and, and most amazingly, under Cyrus, king of Persia, you know, he, he allowed the people of Israel who were in exile under the Babylonians to return to Jerusalem and actually to begin to rebuild the temple, um, you know, under God's, uh, God's auspice and uh, direction. Okay, so in a long allegorical satire, Ezekiel equates idolatry with adultery. The underlying theme is one of base ingratitude. The people are taking for granted what, what God has been give, has given them. The livid chapter on Israel's whoredom is followed by a beautiful affirmation of God's unwavering faithfulness to his everlasting covenant. And this is another theme that we find not only in Ezekiel, but in the prophets generally. And that is, yes, there is judgment upon the sinner, upon the, the uh, ingratitude of God's own people. But there is also God who is faithful to his covenant promise. 
who keeps his faith, who is faithful and who keeps his promises, not dependent on the people, on the sinners, i.e. also us, but God is faithful to his word uh, despite of us, in spite of us, based on what he himself said. You know, so it is God who is faithful, who will keep his word, he will keep his promise, even though uh, his people even forsake him. You know, so throughout the prophets, they proclaim that there will be a stump, for example. You know, even though um, all forsake, um, or mostly all, there will be a remnant. There will be a remnant. Ezekiel then builds a glorious picture of God establishing his eternal kingdom in a descendant of David and the descendant of Jehoiachin, the Messiah. Okay, so uh, that's that promise was made to King David in 2 Samuel 7. We've heard of that before. Remember where God or where David was wanting to build a house for God, and God said, No, I will build you a house, and one of your sons will reign on the throne, or your throne, uh, forever. And this we see in, in the Christ. Life or death depends upon whether or not one believes, and as a result, lives out that faith. We hear about that in today's sermon a little bit. But, uh, you know, we as, we as Lutherans do not take the position that salvation is dependent on works, right? I mean, that's fairly clear from Scripture. So Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, we heard this recently, By grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But even as we say that, um, that's verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to look that up. Uh, but uh, most immediately, following verse 9, of course, is verse 10, which says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Not good works that we choose, but good works that have already been set for us to do. All right, so we, we, we say... According to Scripture, we're saved by grace through faith, but we do not discount works, that is, works that we ought to do because we are God's people, because he commands them. These works that we do are not about getting more right with God than we already are. These works that we do are in, um, in accordance with God's command and will to do them also for our neighbor. All right, so we'll... we'll, uh, we'll potentially talk about that too. Ezekiel laments, uh, and this is the end of chapter 19, or actually the entire chapter, but Ezekiel laments because God withdrew his blessing from Judah, whose leaders rebelled against him. And so we, we hear that we, we hear of that word lament also in the word lamentations, which is really the lament of Jeremiah about the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. And, and also, just by way of reminder, the temple was kind of a big deal. Why was the temple a big deal? Any ideas? It was a center. Not only of their worship, but it's a center of their whole society. That was also the house of God, too. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and both you're both right. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it was the center of the worship. It was the center of their society. It was where God made known to his people that he was present among them. Um, and we heard this before in Exodus 20. 
where God says, where I have placed my name, there I will be to bless you. So, I mean, you know, consider this. What, you know, the, the temple being destroyed, what did that physically say to the people? And they were in exile. They, they were exiled to Babylon, or Babylon, and prior to that, Assyria under, with Israel. Um, they had forsaken God, and God had forsaken them. That's what it meant. You know, and, and uh, of course, you know, human nature is such that, you know, with, uh, and, and we, we saw this before, at least in, in Israel's history, you know, they would say, you know, okay, we're fighting against, like, the Philistines. Okay, let's just bring the Ark of the Covenant because that is kind of like a big talisman thing. You know, um, God is present with us, and, uh, you know, they, they brought this, the Ark of the Covenant thinking that God is going to protect us because we have this Ark of the Covenant. But what they had forsaken was faith in God and in his promise and in his word. So uh, the Philistines actually ended up taking the Ark of the Covenant. And they placed it, if you recall, they placed it in the temple of Dagon. And you remember, it, this is kind of a... Dagon fell over and was worshiping. Yeah, not, not in, I, I don't think that happened initially, though. Right? I, I think initially something else happened, if I recall. Um, that, uh, I don't know, something was missing. But then uh, they put it back, and then I think the next day, yeah. you know, the, the idol of Dagon, their god was before the Ark of the Covenant, and they're saying, what ought we to do? You know, and... and uh, it bowed down, didn't it? Yeah. So it yeah, it, it fell down in broken pieces, yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, so... It, it yeah. even knew. It wasn't yeah. Like yeah, yeah, God did that. Mm-hmm, exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, and then uh, in, in that particular account, then... Uh, the Philistines, I, I think the five Philistines king, five Philistine kings got together and said, what are we going to do? Uh, because there was also plague. I don't know if you want to say pandemic, but there was a plague. Um, and there's speculation as to what that was, but it had direct ties to the Ark of the Covenant and what God himself was doing. So they said, okay, we, we need to take it back. You know, um, and then they, they put it on, a, I think they put it on a cart with uh, some oxen. And uh, they said, if it goes this way, then this is not of God. If it goes this way, it's of God. And it went this way, right, of God. And it went back to the people of Israel, or the, yeah, the people of Israel and, uh, and the like. So um, it was not so much, you know, that the temple represented only, God's presence, but this is where God said he would be for his people. And I would suggest to you that, you know, times are very different today, but is it very different from what I just said concerning, you know, the church? And what it, yeah, I mean, how do we know God is present among us today? By means of his word and sacrament, right? The very gifts that he desires to give us to strengthen us in the faith that we continue in that faith until our last breath, you know. So, uh, and and no no government um, has the authority to say Christians can't meet together to receive God's word. <laughs> I am I am recording this, by the way. So, but now now what that might look like may vary, right? Um, 
But, uh, but you might recall that even under Christian persecution, I mean physical Christian persecution, the Christians continue to meet underground. That's, that's the, uh, the infamous uh, catacombs come on the scene historically. Which on the, on, on the one hand, you might say, well, what were the catacombs for one? They were tombs. They were tombs. Yeah. And it seems kind of morbid on the one hand. But as Christians, what do we also recognize concerning those who have died in Christ? They're going to rise. Yeah. And I don't mean like zombie movies <laughs> or anything like that. But we actually do believe in the resurrection. You know, and, and God himself or Jesus himself says in, in Matthew, I think it's what, Matthew ten, I want to say. Um, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body. Right but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And he's not talking about the devil there. He's talking about, us. He's talking about God. Yeah. Fear him. You know, he, he also says, you know, every hair of your head are numbered. You know, not one sparrow falls to the ground. Could we also say, um, you know, using that illustration... You know, not one deer dies. Say that again. Not one deer dies crossing the road, except the father knows. True. <laughs> Is that a poem you just made up? No. No, I mean, the sparrow, not one sparrow falls to the ground, except the father knows it. That's, yeah. uh, that's biblical. But, I mean, you know, using, you know, that illustration. You can apply it to. Yeah, I mean, what, what does God not know? Right? I mean, what does God not know that we need? And, and the purpose for Jesus saying that to his disciples is to bolster them in the faith, to encourage them in the faith, because times would be difficult for them. So he says in another place, you know, they will bring you before kings and governors and authorities. Don't be worried about what you're going to say, because the Spirit will give you the very words to say. And that, that we see taking place and being fulfilled in the Acts of the Apostles. Remember how, uh, and, and this is Acts chapter 2, I think. Uh, so please turn to that. Uh, Acts chapter 2, I th- it might be ch- Acts chapter 3 or 4 as well, but somewhere around there. Yeah, it's not Acts chapter 2 because that's still Pentecost and, and, and Paul's preaching, but or Peter's preaching. Acts chapter 3. You might recall this account. Um, in Acts chapter 3, when they went up, in this beginning at verse 1, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms. And this is where Peter and John, seeing that this man have faith, has faith, you know, said to them, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I say to you, walk. Right? So in verse 6, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And guess what happened? He rose up and he walked. Right? But that, you might remember the account, this is uh, you know, taking place in, in chapters 3 uh, to 4. The authorities don't like this, what happened. Because they determined this man was actually able to walk. He was not a charlatan. He was not, uh, he was not faking it. This was the real deal. 
And uh, you might recall, too, that Peter and John were both arrested. And they were put on trial. And they asked, by, you know, by what means is this man walking? And, and Peter boldly said, this man is walking because of Jesus Christ whom you crucified. You know, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead kind of thing. And, uh, and that's the place in, 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 uh, in Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 12. Um, let's see, maybe we'll, we'll go a little bit further up. Um, how about we read uh, a, a few verses here? Um, Sonia, could you start us off at verse 8 and then uh, take a verse and we'll read through verse 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Verse 9. Oh, sorry. Or, yeah. Verse 9, Don. You got it? Acts chapter 4. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you all. This is a stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief of cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So this is this is Peter's testimony, his confession before the ruling authorities, right? And and it's it's very striking. We've heard verse eleven before, actually, probably not too long ago, when Jesus is speaking that parable of the the wicked vine dressers. And then he says to the Pharisees, you know, the stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is marvelous in God's eyes, in our eyes. You know, this is God's work. He's quoting from Psalm one eighteen there. And then uh, the, the, the memorable verse in verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. Who's he referring to there? Who is the no one else? Jesus. Jesus, yeah. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we, we must be saved. There's only one. And then it, it, it's really fascinating to see what happens afterwards because in verse 13, uh, they recognize that these were uneducated common men. Where did they get this boldness from? I mean, they, they couldn't refute them and what they said. They couldn't say, well, this man was really not, he's, he's faking it. Um, no, this, again, this, is, uh, this really happened. Um, and they had nothing to say in opposition, but uh, uh, they ended up uh, beating them, and then the disciples rejoiced as a result. Yeah, the Christians rejoice. You know, they, I, it, it, you know, we often think of, of Christians kind of like, uh, at least today, sometimes, you know, woe is me, woe is us. Look at all that we have to suffer. But 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 think of, of how the early Christians, how they responded to suffering, and affliction, and the like. I mean, where 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 do you think that came from? Not not it, it wasn't self derived. You know, rejoicing or, or joy. I mean, who, 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 who will be happy in suffering, physically speaking? No. I don't think you know, not many people. And if you know, some are gluttons for punishment. I guess, right? You've heard that phrase before. Um, but you know, the Christian doesn't seek out 
suffering. But the Christian suffers just the same as that suffering is laid upon them. But it's God Himself who gives the strength uh, for His people to, uh, to endure. Um, you, you might recall that later on in Acts chapter 5, they're arrested again. And, uh, um, and, and they're also freed. But in, in Acts chapter 5, that's, that's where, uh, and I'm looking for it right now, you know, where, where Peter says we ought to obey God rather than men because they basically they said we want you to keep silence about this, this man, Jesus Christ, whom you say was crucified and is resurrected. And in that context, Peter says we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, he's not saying there, he's not saying there that uh, we should not obey men and, their, and, the, and the proper authorities. What he is saying, however, is that when... The word of the uh, the authority, the governing authority, contradicts and um, contrasts with what God Himself says. Then we, as God's people, follow what God says and not what the governing authority says. And that's why Christians ought to have a problem. I know some don't, but we ought to have a problem when taxpayer dollars go towards abortion. Right? Because what is, I mean, fundamentally, what is abortion? Yeah, it's killing. Murder. You know, independent of the reasons. You know, um, and, and, and that's a big deal. And, and it's not, uh, you know, lest we forget, you know, because society has, has an influence on, uh, on us in, in various ways, shapes, and forms. But lest we forget, it's not about how we see something, it's about how God sees the thing. And those could be very different, right? You know, how the world sees from how God sees. And I, I think that certainly applies in our day. It applied in Ezekiel's day. It wasn't what the people themselves thought. It was what was what God himself was saying. If you remember last time, and this was, what, like close to a month ago, I guess, when we, when we were speaking about Ezekiel, but um, chapters 8 through 11, and we hear of all these abominations that were taking place in the temple. So the people of Israel actually had idols in the temple, the very thing that God forbade them to do. Um, you know, and they and they can't say, well, why is why is Ezekiel preaching this message that exile is coming upon us, or destruction is coming upon us, uh, because we've been so good? They can't say that. You know, they did what was right in their own eyes, and they collectively agreed upon this. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it's it's somewhat reminiscent of uh, in fact um, you know we, we could think of it this way too but Ezekiel, Jeremiah and many of the other prophets they were kind of like you know kind of alone in a way. Have you seen that uh, is it on the History Channel of all places that, that TV series called Alone? Have you heard of that? It, it's basically a what do you call like a I want to say it, it's like a, it's not a game show, but you're competing against other people to see how long you can be alone by yourself in this certain place, in the wilderness. You know, so you're able to take certain items with you, you know, but but you're limited in what you can take with you. You know, you can't take your fridge with all your food, you know, and stuff like that. Um, but what you need to survive, and and really, then the show 
is about like you might have I, I think starting off like maybe with seven people you know they're all placed like miles away from each other in, in these uh, these various regions Canada and and other places too um, but uh, and, and they do have they, they do have uh, a means to communicate if they need to be picked up in other words if they can't take anymore you know and of course it's like uh, you know you do this for money so whoever lasts the longest um, will win, you know, kind of thing. Um, but uh, but but they, they they are alone, but not really alone, and that's by choice. So a very different thing going on here. But but the prophets, they were alone because of the call of God. In in terms of what they preached, in terms of what they proclaimed. Remember Ezekiel to Ezekiel, God says, "Go to this people, this rebellious house of mine." And they won't listen to you. But say what I tell you to say to them so that they hear and so that they know a prophet is among them. Which is, which is reminiscent of what, what uh, God says through Moses in Deuteronomy 18 you know, concerning prophets. How do you know if a prophet, and Jeremiah speaks of this too, how, how do you know if a prophet is a true prophet of God? Because what he says will be true will happen. Yeah, because what he says will happen. That's how you know. Um, and in fact, uh, we, we see that in Ezekiel, you know, and as well as in Jeremiah um, and, and the other prophets, too. So I, I think, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, when we had the Reformation VBS just a couple of weeks ago, um, it, it, it really it, it struck me that before Josiah comes on the scene, actually many years before Josiah comes on the scene, there's this prophecy of, you know, from this man of God, you know, to, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Jeroboam, who is in the temple. And the man of God says um, that Josiah, a man named, a boy named Josiah will rise, you know, and, uh, and, and will reform, you know, will bring about reform, you know, of, of Israel. And, uh, and it came about. Um, but also, most more immediately, um, Jeroboam, he stretched out his hand, and then, if you recall, I think it's, it kind of shriveled up, so he couldn't move it anymore. And, uh, and the man of God says, you know, in, in affirmation of this uh, prophecy that he was speaking, he said that the, the altar would break in two, and it broke in two. You know, that's how you know. It's not just, um, you know, it's, it's not just someone... Uh, claiming to be a prophet that just says whatever he wants to say. And I'll even go further, not only uh, just whatever he wants to say, but what he says that the people want to hear. Which is a huge contrast then. I mean, what, you know, I, 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 you know, false prophets, false teachers, they're still around, guys. I don't have to tell you that. I think you know that. Um, but we make a we make a big deal between the false preachers and the true preachers, uh, not so much because of the person, but because of the doctrine, because of the teaching that they ha- that they that they pass on, right? So um, you've heard of something called the health and wealth gospel. What is that? And if you live right, you will prosper. Right. Yeah. Or you know, and it, 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 you know it. Connected to that, if you give so much money to my ministry, okay, I'm not saying this about me, okay, but some will, you know, I, I've heard, uh, I, I remember one who, 
Well, and I, I think, didn't Pat Robertson recently say something about that? Like, oh, you know, God has told me that I need, you know, a million dollars for this or whatever. You know, well, yeah, that over the years there have been, I, I remember one and I forget his name now, but this was, you know, several years ago, but he was saying, God told me that I needed to make so much money or else I was going to die. Well, he was he was another one too. See the one that wanted the airplane. There was one that said he needed enough donations to buy a Goldstream Five or something. Yeah. Which is like millions of dollars. Yeah. Or else God was going to take him out of the world. Yeah, and and what what is so sad is you know there there are people who want to believe and therefore also do believe what these false preachers say. You know, another one is you know if you give so much money here, then God is going to bless you beyond measure. You won't be able to. You know, um, I, I've even seen when I let's see, I, I'm thinking his name was Roger Parsons. I'm not sure if that's it or not. Uh, but he would be he was he was um, he was one of those who had a towel with him because he was sweat so profuse, profusely. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, no, he, he was one of those preachers that, uh, you know, when he was preaching, he would have a towel with him because he sweated so greatly. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I didn't like him um, for several reasons, but, but one of the things that he said, this kind of goes with the health wealth gospel too. You know, he said, if you're in debt, God doesn't want you to be in a debt, in debt, you know, so, so bring your, um, so bring your invoices and the, and the like, and we'll burn them. And it's like, okay, that's not the way to pay for it. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, what, what's odd is, you know, he didn't, well, maybe it's not so much odd, um, but he really didn't say, he didn't really speak about their responsibility with reference to spending, right? I mean, that, that's, you know, God says, for example, in the, in the seventh commandment, do not steal. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, if, if one is spending gobs of money, you know, on, on one thing, like for themselves, but not, you know, not helping others, um, that's an, that's an issue, right? You know, and, and, you know, we, we've been brought up, we've, we've, we've been kind of taught, don't overspend or don't spend what you don't got, right? That's how you get dead. What's that? That's how you get dead. Right. Uh, but it also has to, you know, we use that term physical responsibility, uh, but but also uh, awareness and use of the gifts that God has given, not for our own pleasure, but for the benefit of others. You know, um, and so th- this this particular preacher did not mention that at all, from what I recall. And many don't. They don't talk about personal responsibility with reference to what God Himself had said. You know, concerning how you ought to live. Um, and even if you do everything right, that doesn't mean life will be you know, without problems, without issues, right? Um, you know, don't raise your hands, but just the way that we raise our children or have raised our children, could we have done better? Yeah. Yeah. You didn't have to answer, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, you know, and, and sometimes you can do things all right, and yet the child still does not turn out, you know, the way that you would like them to, Right? Um, but even there, we place our confidence not in what we did, but in God's grace and favor. I mean, it, it's amazing to me, you know, how 
um, you know, God calls us, you know, to be responsible for these certain things. Um, but even as we mess up because we do, God still has a means of, I don't want to say making it right, but God still has a means of having his work done. You know, um, there, there are those, for example, you know, inside or outside the family that maybe you talk to all the time about the Lord Jesus, you know, for example, and, and then nothing happens, so then there's a, there's a huge silence, and then something happens in their life where there's an open door. You know, um, some people, I, I found that, that some people you just can't talk to because they just close off. But then others, you know, at different times in their lives might be more receptive. And, uh, I mean, it, it, it's amazing. It's not our time. It's God's time. You know, and, you know, getting to uh, Ezekiel then, it's, it's certainly uh, the Lord's time, not, not dependent on the people and what they think. So um, with the time remaining... Um, I wanted to draw your attention to something that I came across as I was uh, as I was preparing for the study here um, on slide 86. Uh, we have three phrases there, and what I found amazing is as I was reading the text, I I, I kept, kept coming across these phrases. It's almost seems like they're they're very repetitive. You know, the word of the Lord came to me, and and you see the number of times that that appears. In chapter 12, in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And then there's this pattern, the word of the Lord came to me, and then, so the word of the Lord came to me, that's Ezekiel, and, uh, you know, kind of broadly uh, addressing this, the word of the Lord came to me, and then you might have, like, a few words or maybe a few paragraphs. And then, thus says the Lord. And then also we have that phrase, say to them. This was, you know, had to do with uh, Ezekiel's call. So what I'd like you to do is uh, go back to the Old Testament, if, you, if, you, if you're not there right now, to Ezekiel chapter 12. And what we're going to do is, is pretty much just an overview uh, a selective overview of these uh, particular chapters. Ezekiel 12, uh, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, and then we have what the word of the Lord was to Ezekiel in this particular chapter. Son of man, and we see that, uh, I, I don't have that, uh, that phraseology here, but the son of man comes up, Again and again, because that's how God addresses Ezekiel, son of man. You dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see but see not, who have ears to hear but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. And then, uh, you know, then, then God starts speaking with him about living as if he's in exile, as a sign for the people. So in exile's bag, go into exile by day in their sight. Perhaps they will understand, God says in verse 3. So you bring out your baggage by day in their sight, verse 4. And then uh, in their sight, dig through the wall and bring your baggage out through it. In their sight, you shall lift the baggage upon your shoulder, verse 6, and carry it up at dusk. Um and so this was kind of a weird thing because here you'd see this man, Ezekiel, 
who kind of carried his bag out in the sight of all the people that they would see, and then he would start digging through the wall. I, I think in our day, we would probably say he's got some kind of mental condition, right? Um, but, but the weird thing is, with Ezekiel, I mean, it's not like he was, he was you know, speaking or, or doing anything that God had not given him to speak and do. Um, he was still coherent. Um, you know, he, he was uh, still cognizant of what he was doing. So if people would ask him and talk to him, he would talk freely, you know, about what he's doing. And, and uh, so, you know, what, what I'm suggesting is this, this was not a mental condition at all, of course. It might have looked like one to the people. Um, but what he was doing and saying were consistent with the message that he gave, right? Um, but, uh, you know, so, so in verse 7, um, you know, he says that he did what he was commanded. And then notice in verse 9 then, um, in the morning the word of the Lord came to me, so, or actually that's verse 8, once again, the, the, the word of the Lord came to me. And then in verse 10, um, you know, we have, thus says the Lord God, so say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And then he kind of expresses what this is all about. In other words, the explanation is given. Um, one of the things that I, that I have, have, am discovering with Ezekiel is that at first glance, it seems like the, the visions, the actions of Ezekiel, what he does, uh, kind of, you know, you scratch your head. What's going on here? This, is, this guy is very different. It reminds me of Jesus' parables at times, where Jesus speaks in these, you know, um, how should I say, um, kind of dark sayings, but then he explains them. Not all of them, but many he does. So like the sower and the seed, for example. You know, the sower went out to sow from, uh, you know, from, from the Gospels. Jesus went out, the sower went out to sow seeds. Some fell among the rock. Some fell among the thorns. Some fell on the dry ground. Some fell among good ground. You know, and, uh, and and sprouted, and so on and so forth. Jesus, in that case particularly, explains the parable to his disciples. Right? Um, he doesn't do that always, uh, but uh, but in many of them, he does indicate what he means. You know, and uh, and and so uh, you know, so here, oftentimes. Uh, not only for for uh, for the people's sake who are reading this and the accounts given, but also for our sake too, um, are are these given? So uh, in in chapter twelve, Judas' captivity is symbolized. You hear, you, you see that. Let's uh, let's go to uh, chapter thirteen. And again in verse one, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel. Now we get to the prophets of Israel. Those who claim to be prophets but are not speaking what God Himself has declared them to speak, to say. Prophesy against the prophets of Israel who, who are prophesying and say to those who prophesy from their own hearts. Hear the word of the Lord. Um, there's One of the commandments actually addresses this very clearly. Here's pop quiz time. Which commandment addresses these words most readily? Hear the word of those who prophesy from their own hearts. Hear the word of the Lord, or thus saith the Lord. I'll give you a hint. It's 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 commandments. It's it's one of the commandments one, two, or three. Thou shalt have no other gods. Okay, that's that's yeah, that's certainly there. What about between the second and third commandment? Not use the word that God is saying. Yeah, what are they doing? 
they're using God's name in vain. Um, which, uh, of course, applies to them, but those uh, that's why we call them false preachers, false teachers, when they say God says this and he doesn't say that. That's an identification marker that that, that preacher, whether it's man or woman, no, there's many women preachers today, um, so-called, um, you know, when they speak, they're not speaking the truth. They're not speaking what God himself has said. And that's why... You know, it's it's not uh, it's not meant to be a derogatory term in terms of oh those people, kind of thing, um, but rather it's it's to to uh, to draw attention to the fact that they don't speak what God Himself says. You know, um, so what was mentioned earlier about the Catholic Church, that's false teaching to say hey we accept homosexuals, if by saying that they mean we accept homosexual behavior, right? Because the church accepts sinners. Would the church exist if they did not accept sinners? <laughs> you know, remember that, that God, that Jesus himself yeah, said... What is required for forgiveness? Repentance. Right, yeah. So, so one, one who is uh, obstinate and determined to go their own way, um, they, they should receive nothing but judgment. And, and we're not talking about civilly here. We're talking about spiritually. Right, that the the, um, the church functions differently than the world does. The church functions differently than the government. Right, that you know God rules both, but He does so in different ways. Um, and and one of the issues today, I, I think, we're seeing more and more. It's I mean, in society, it's almost a moot point. Um, you know, the the claim that homosexuals deserve rights. Right deserve, you know, to be able to marry or, uh, or so on and so forth. And one of the big issues that we have with that is the fact that it's going against uh, not only what God himself says, but it's going against the order of creation. It's against God himself. And, and I, I think um, that's what we're seeing today um, in, in society as a whole is this, um, you know, turning against God and his ways, against order against God's order of creation, um, you know, and the like. And, and now society is given approval for what God himself forbids. And Isaiah the prophet in, in chapter 5, I think it is, verse 20 says, Woe to him who calls good evil and evil good. That's not only within the church, guys. That's, only, that's also outside the church, too. You know, and, and we want to, you know, make distinctions with that. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, because I, I know there, there are some Christians who say, well, just let them be, let them do what they want. Um, but in the government, when you, when, when authority by the government is given to them to do what they want, um, then the government is not doing its job to keep law and order. And if you think about this, like way down, or maybe not even way down the line, but what happens to family, what happens to society as a whole? Yeah. What Ezekiel was talking about. Right. Israel is a rebellious house. Well, that's where we are, a rebellious house. Right. And God tells us what's supposed to be happening. But if you yeah. read what God tells you is supposed to be happening, mm -hmm. then you can't follow your heart instead of what his word says. Yeah. So then, you know, now we're getting back to the first commandment. 
Because what does it mean to follow your heart? To not follow God. Right. To be committing idolatry. Because then who's number one? Right? And I mean, it, 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 it's fascinating when we when we look at Ezekiel and, and you know the other prophets too, they weren't preaching what they wanted to preach. They were preaching what God himself gave them to preach in calling the people to repentance that they'd not be judged by God as evildoers, but received by him as forgiven sinners. And yet that's the very message that they continued to deny. Um, and I mean, what, what is the church about? You know, calling out sin, not for the sake of just calling out sin to make people feel bad, but to call them to repentance so that they believe the Savior, Jesus the Christ. Right? I mean, that's, you know, so, you know, Ezekiel said what he said. He spoke what he spoke. He preached and prophesied as he preached and prophesied so that the people turn from their evil ways and destruction not come upon them. In other words, God sent Ezekiel to call the people to repentance in order to save them, not to destroy them. But that's the very message that they refuse to hear. All right, let us pray. Heavenly Father, keep us from rejecting or refusing your word. We ask that you would soften our hearts, that we hear your proclamation, and so repent of our sin, recognizing that we are not as you would have us be, but recognizing also and acknowledging our salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.